Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's your film chat for this week. Hey, it's your film chat. I was thinking, actually, earlier I was wondering about how to introduce it. I was going to do a kind of Will Menneker from Chapo Trap House Star thing, but I just said the line, but I didn't do the voice. I fucked it up. Sorry. I fucked up in another way. Uh... This yeah. week, which is How'd that you fuck I up? well, I uh, had to stay at my parents this week because to water their plants while they were away. I took my laptop home, and I was going to be watching two things. I was going to watch Game of Thrones, and I was going to watch the movie Lady Macbeth. And I didn't want to cart my laptop charger around. It's you know an extra heavy piece of equipment, and I thought my laptop was sufficiently charged. I'll be fine. But after Game of Thrones is finished, I didn't have enough battery for a whole movie. So I was reduced to either having to sit in the office, watch it on the desktop computer. I didn't want to watch a movie in an office. Uh, or watch it on my phone. Like but the sort of millennial philistine that I am, I watched it on my phone. I watched it in bed, just like holding the film like so close to my face that it took up the same amount of like field of vision as a cinema screen would. What would Christopher Nolan say if he, if he could hear this? Oh, he'd, and he he'd, probably is hearing he'd this. He'd probably dunk the, throw tea directly into my face and wrap me on the knuckles with an expensive umbrella or something like that. Yeah, he definitely has an expensive umbrella. Yeah, and then just vanish into the night. Um... <laughs> But uh, how was the experience? You it know? was actually kind of fine, I have to say. I mean, it's not a very visually spectacular film, so um, I I would say I would say kids do it. Yeah, <laughs> just feel empowered to watch a film any way that makes you feel comfortable, and if that's on a uh, sort of stamp sized um, micro camera. Just do, you're just fine. Just do it like that. And if it's on IMAX, then that makes you comfortable. I feel there's like a lot of snobbery it. around. You know, once it's out of the cinema, how you choose to consume it in the comfort of your own home. It's your business. It's, it's your business. It's okay? your business. Yeah, I agree. I have, I have more sympathy for things around like people getting annoyed around like texting or uh, you know people talking during films and that kind of stuff. Like I can see why that would annoy you because it interrupts the experience of enjoying the story. But all the kind of like. It, you know, it must be uh, on the side of a building in order to be uh, appreciated as, you know. It's bullshit. Bullshit. Anyway, Sam, what's this podcast even about? Well, it's uh, a good question, Danny. For the confused listener, uh, if this is your first time, I better explain. This is a podcast all about a Detroit, maverick Detroit police detective, Oren Boyd, whose take-no-prisoners approach to domestic terrorism gets him booted downtown to the city's toughest precinct. There he meets the powerful and mysterious crime lord, Danny Moran, whose dicey connections and seemingly unlimited cash make him everyone's target. Together, the two men take on a conspiracy that reaches all the way through the ranks to the heart of the precinct. Is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2001 Steven Seagal film Exit Wounds. It's actually just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. 
I'm Sam Foster, and joining me is a powerful and mysterious crime lord whose dicey connections and seemingly unlimited cash make him everyone's target, Danny Moran. Hello, hello. On this episode of Film Chat, I'll be reviewing Final Portrait, Stanley Tucci's film about the great artist Alberto Giacometti painting the art critic James Lords. I honour Giacometti's incomparable style by delivering my review, deciding it's not perfect enough, deleting it, starting again, deciding that's not good enough, deleting it, so on and so forth, until the review is wrestled away from me. You're probably listening to take 35. It's going to be a long recording, guys, so buckle in. That's the best Giacometti gag you're going to hear all year. Absolutely. Meanwhile, Sam being infirm of purpose as to what review screwed his courage to a sticking place by watching acclaimed period indie Lady Macbeth. But it was a sorry sight, for he didn't much care for it, but what's done is done. Those are Lady Macbeth quotes for the Shakespeare scholars out there. Guys, you really put the hours into this. Really put the hours. <laughs> we also delve into the never-ending pool of what-the-fuckness, which is the DC Extended Universe plans. Obi-Wonder, what an Obi-Wan spin-off film will be like. And serve up highlights from a fascinating interview with the director of Airbud, all of which leave me just enough time to pitch my idea for the new Bond film, where the dapper spy has to deal with a post-Brexit Britain. I'm thinking there's a scene where Q gives him a gun inside a curvy banana, because I'll be back. Uh, maybe a bit where he sets fire to a flag, and it's really easy because of the flammable rules have been lifted. <laughs> and then there's a scene where he's telling a bad guy for an airport, but he has to go in the non-EU resident queue, which is longer, so he just misses him. He gets away. And then he realizes he's half Swiss. So he just moves to Switzerland, becomes a Swiss spy. That's nice. That's, that's good. That's going to keep us in the EU, I think, that one. Yeah. Yeah, powerful. Powerful Remainer propaganda. I'm part of the 48%. 0048. Regular correspondent Olivia Waring sent us an amazing piece of film journalism, which was an interview with the actor and director Charles Martin Smith. You may know him as the non-famous member of The Untouchables from the film of the same name, uh, but he is probably better served in the field of directing, where he's made many classics, none of which I can name, apart from one, Airbud, the first in the long-running Airbud uh Franchise the where bud, it, the, the bud, bud films. the bud films the bud universe where a golden retriever excels at a series of sports, <laughs> but in the first one it's basketball the purest one and as it's the 20th anniversary of the first Air Bud they tracked him down, and uh, he is a fascinating guy. It's a bit like Hitchcock Truffaut this interview really in terms of the insights he gives into the cinema. This is what I loved about this interview is his. Uh, unwillingness to play to the gallery or to in any way spice up he's a serious director Charles Martin Smith he's not there to make jokes he's, he's there to answer the questions he's not he's not giving this interview like he's used to the press circuit you know I feel like he's been out of the loop for a while and it's more like just chatting to an old man asking him about stuff you know are you a dog lover he's asked I'm not a huge dog lover no I've never really owned dogs I find animals fascinating to make movies about they're always honest you always get an honest performance out of an animal they have an innocence and purity that human characters don't have. That's a, that's a kind of uh, dull but uh, quite deep answer to that question. This is what makes this interview so great. I like his response to the question about how he got involved with the film, uh, which is quite a long anecdote. But my favorite bit is, I read the script and I passed. I didn't want to do it. I thought it sounded silly. A dog playing basketball. 
by Bill, who's the producer, and I remained friends. I was directing Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Bill kept checking in and seeing how I was doing. I started thinking about the dog playing basketball. I went back to Bill and said, if you let me work on this and turn it from a gimmick movie into a really honest story of a boy and his dog with no CGI, nothing fake, and emphasize the boy and his dog, I would be willing to do it. You remember how they used to make these kinds of movies like before this auteur came along? <laughs> Slathered in CGI, just completely fucking computer animated dogs everywhere. Uh, and just not about the boy and his dog. Like, that's the key. That's the key to the whole film. Have you seen it, bud? I haven't actually, but after reading this interview, I have to say my interest is Pete. I mean, it's, if it's made by this guy. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah? Well, I'm a sucker for clever dogs in movies. Like, as you were saying, the lack of CGI pays off. So when the dog does the tricks, you're like, that's an actual dog doing a trick, and the performance is so honest. How much, like, CGI would they have even done, though, in the 90s? <laughs> like, well, I guess, I'm, you know, it's post-Jurassic think... Park. I don't know sure what the budget was like on Air Bud, but... Maybe they could have done a very lifelike dog. Yeah, I like any I like movies and animals, and I like films with animals doing something animals don't normally do. That's like why the that's pretty much all the internet, right? Every cat video is like you know, a cat doing something a cat doesn't normally do, dog doing something a dog doesn't normally do. <laughs> yeah, but it's also a lot of them doing things that they do normally do. Well, that's what Airbus got both of those things. <laughs> right, that's okay, why it's a the winning dog film. Also does like dog stuff. It does dog stuff? It does non-dog stuff. Did you cry watching Airbud? Yeah, there's a bit where. Um, the, his evil former owner is a bit mean to him. Was he, is, his, is his former owner a clown or yeah, something? Yeah, Snively the Clown or something. I'm pretty sure we did Airbud for one of our comedy intros. So I sort of remember a bit of the bit yeah, of the plot. Did. He did. Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah so yeah. I remember the clown, the evil clown. Mm. It's like a crossover from it. There's a bit at the end where, like, unbeknownst to the kid, Kevin, the dog loves, like, rolled up newspapers. And at the end, to sort of like, it's, what's uh, like, what's that Greek myth with the baby and the two mothers more over the babies? Um, you're talking about King Solomon. From King the Solomon, Bible. yeah, from the Bible. Sorry, and uh, to decide who keeps the dog, the guy's like, "I'll oh, just, you know, just come to the uh, owner you love the most." Best, yeah. But then the the clown takes out the rolled up newspapers. Even the dog's going to be like driven by his love of newspapers, but he overcomes his instinct and rushes to the boy. Oh man, oh, it's a bloody emotional roller coaster. That sounds good. It's just a story about a boy and his dog. It's you know, just an honest story about a boy and a dog. Like, what more can you ask than that? That's powerful. Yeah, the yeah. sequels fucking ruined it. Worse than The Matrix. Oof. Ruined the mythos of the entire franchise. Yeah, d- dog playing basketball, buy that. But like, d- ice hockey, piss off. Baseball, get fucked. <laughs> fucking rounders, no way, mate. Don't think so. Absolutely crap. It's fucking cheap shit, like, just for morons. It's not this, like, dog basketball film. That's the real stuff. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. You know in movies when they cut to the beginning of a scene and someone is telling the end of an anecdote? Yeah. What if we do that for like for every for every new section, but it's always like as though we've just done a jingle in the middle. No, this is going to be good. That will get so annoying. Well, it might get annoying, but at least <laughs> one great yeah. bit of gag is going to come out of this. So anyway, I got it checked out. Turns out it's normal. <laughs> Glad to hear it. And now on to the news section. So, um, fun news in the DC universe. It's good because um, uh, it's just a total clusterfuck. It's great. It's like it's amazing. It's it's fun. It's fun news to do because it's always it's always the outcome of some insane meeting with a bunch of guys who you always get the impression they're just surrounded by like 
drugs like and piles of cash like half legal drugs half recreational drugs they're taking too much of both like a lot of antidepressants and like uppers downers uppers downers (laughs) the the one the middle ones the ones that just don't go up or down uh and it's like it's taking place at like 3 a.m there's like empty pizza boxes everywhere (laughs) it's like slamming the table and at some at some point they got into the topic of the joker the legendary character the joker uh, much beloved. Uh, many many interesting versions of the Joker. Not <laughs> recently, happened. but not recently. Well, the um, uh, Heath Ledger's version obviously cast a very long shadow, and then they tried uh, the Joker again in the form of Jared Leto, and everyone was like, oh, "He's really annoying." He sent everyone condoms. Like uh, yeah. in the movie, he is absolutely unbearable. Sort of Mexican, uh... sort of just like this nightclub owning gangster guy, yeah, yeah. like uh, just this weird, weird version of the character that they uh, cut out most of. Um, uh, when they were like editing the movie and uh so they but they want to do more joker shit yeah and they're probably like how do we we want to make serious films you know none of this like nonsense like well everyone hates our movies how do we get people to love our movies who makes movies that people love like let's think as anyone martin scorsese yeah love that guy's movies his movies are very critically acclaimed um and uh so they just sort of like well, let's make a film with martin scorsese and they've managed to wrangle him for some kind of to produce a Joker film, which is explicitly going to be like a Martin Scorsese film. Uh, This is how Deadline reported this scoop. They said, The intention is to make a gritty and grounded, hardballed crime film set in early 80s Gotham City that isn't meant to feel like a DC movie um, as much as one of Scorsese's films from that era, like Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, or The King of Comedy. So it doesn't feel like a DC movie, which they're really going for with their expanded universe. It does want to feel like a film from that universe. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be Taxi Driver, but like with the Joker in it. They've also found a director for this project, the obvious choice for your Martin Scorsese produced, Scorsese influenced Joker film, Todd Phillips, the man behind The Hangover. Part um, one, two, and three. Part one, two. And War Dogs. <laughs> and Due Date. And Road Trip. Wow, you know a lot about Todd Phillips' career. Uh, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan. Big Todd Phillips guy. Big Todd Phillips nut. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, it's going to be written by the guy who wrote Eight Mile, so just a real melting pot of talent. It sounds absolutely random. Well, I would say that Todd Phillips kind of is similar to David Ayer and Zack Schneider, and he seems like a real bro director. Yeah, like, it strikes me as somebody who's watched Heat way too many times. But that, but that, and, Scorsese is also a bit of a bro director. But so. he's all like, uh, he's always about like damage masculinity. I yeah, feel yeah. like is Scorsese is a director that like. Uh, this is quite a snobbish thing to say. It's like uh, Fight Club or Goodfellas, and movies which like bros like, but don't really get the subtext. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> even though movies it, with bad fans. Yeah, movies with bad fans. Yeah. But but even like the Joker having an origin tale is just a bad idea to begin with. That's what's scary about him. He's like the kind of sort of unknowable force of nature. He's come from nowhere. Well, they kind of do that in the Killing Joke, right? That has uh, the Killing Joke, which is the Alan Moore one from the eighties, which yeah. is a big influence on the Dark Knight. But I think he himself has distanced himself. He thinks that it's one of his lesser works. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it is. It does something. Take something away from it. The, the kind of point of that graphic novel is that like anyone can become crazy. Everyone's a bad day away from losing it completely, which is quite a terrifying idea. But it does. I think it's just not as effective. Like you know, yeah, Ledger no, is terrifying because like where would he come from? And it's cool that I mean, it was it was definitely it was obviously an influence on the Dark Knight. But in that movie, they make a point of giving him an inconsistent backstory, so that he's always like saying where he got scars from. Yeah, and there's always like different and stuff. Um, so I don't know. It's a, it seems like a very strange uh, 
notion to be honest it sounds like they're setting themselves up for um just another clusterfuck of a movie we'll see i mean but, do you think like you could take a something like the king of comedy which is like a, this dark film about a failed comedian and just try to take that <laughs> like, template yeah rupert pupkin becomes the joker Popkin becomes the joker because in in the killing joke backstory that's exactly what he is right he's an unfunny comedian yeah yeah that's true but is it also, well, I guess we don't know, but is some poor young actor going to have to match Jared Leto's performance? No, because like, I think this takes place in some sort of parallel non it's not Oh, right, okay. Joker. That's a good move. So at least they wouldn't have to try and do the Leto Yeah, I can't, I'm, 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 I can't pull out the exact quote here, but um, my understanding is that Jared Leto is not going to be reprising his role, so it's going to be a brand new, totally different take. Amazing. I don't really see that like young Leto being like a Rupert Pupkin type character. It doesn't really They should get um, Jacob Tremblay. Maybe like a skater or something. Tremblay is a joker. Tremblay is the Joker. Put put him right in there. Yeah, really, you're, like serious origins, like young, 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 young shit. They should get um, Brady Corbet, who did Child of the Leader, just remake the Child film. Of a Joker. Child of a Joker, but change the end scene. <laughs> so it's just the Joker. <laughs> Not more laughing. How much does the kid laugh in Child of a Leader? A bit. A little bit. A little bit. So just turn uh, turn up the cackleometer. Turn on up that. the cackle. Sw- switch out the ending. Yeah. For make, like make one of the characters the penguin or something. <laughs> make make, <laughs> make the dad the penguin or something. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Job done. Job done. You're welcome, Hollywood. While they're like taking inspiration from Scorsese, why not just simply remake an existing film and repackage it at the same time? Remake Hugo. Hugo's now the Joker origin story. Bam. He's a fucking Joker. Get ready. It's happened. <laughs> Pam, get ready. You're not ready? Too bad. It already happened. <laughs> the movie's out. Here is the Joker now. That's a good. I think that's a good way to go about it. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, th- I'm excited. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, In another slightly more healthy Extended Universe, they're not that much more healthy given how many reshoots they're having to do on the Han Solo movie. But the Star Wars machine just keeps on chugging away, and the latest spin-off movie that's been uh, that's been sort of rumored is the is a Obi Wan spin-off movie. And during I think Hugh McGregor, I think in every interview he's given, he's asked if he'll play Obi Wan, he's always like, sure, yeah, you know, yeah, why not? Cool, why not? I love I love money, pay me, pay I'll, me. I'll work with make it, scale. I'll work with anyone, <laughs> make it rain, and. Uh, <laughs> So we don't know, and apparently that's what's going to happen. That's what's been brewing over at Lucasfilm. I don't know whether it will be a prequel to his time before Phantom Menace or some sort of bridging movie between uh, Revenge of the Sith Set and, it in the afterlife, and, and A New Hope. Set it in the afterlife. Well, it might not be Ewan McGregor. It might be an even younger... They can do. They can make any actor any age now, any, Yeah, it'll be they fine. They can have him play uh, Obi-Wan at literally any age. Apparently, this is quite interesting. Uh, the director who's been tapped to helmet is Stephen Doldry, the man who made Billy Elliot and The Hours. And Obviously. incredibly loud and extremely close, whatever that movie's called. Extremely loud and incredibly, incredibly close. close, I believe. It's a bit strange. Um, yeah, Obi-Wan. I don't know. Isn't he all tapped out in terms of arc? Yeah, I don't I don't know. It, this, this is another one that feels like one of those sort of automatic things. 
I mean, when they when they announced this idea of uh, expanding the universe through spin-off movies, it's uh, kind of I think at least sounded like it could be a little bit more interesting than the regular way that you extend your franchise. Yeah. Because there is already a very large extended universe that exists of novels and computer games, and uh, people are writing stories that are completely disconnected from uh, the events of the movies. You know, and have been doing so for decades. So it's quite a rich. Like, I'm sure most of them are not great literature or anything, but there's, like, a rich body of things that you can draw on to make stories in this universe. Yeah. And people, you know, there is obviously an audience that wants to explore new parts of this universe and stuff. But now it seems like they're just taking the most cautious approach possible by just doing a series of origin films or films about, like, familiar characters. I mean, maybe Rogue One didn't make as much money as they wanted to, and they were like, we made a huge mistake not putting Han Solo in it or something. (laughs) And so now they only want to do, like just spin-off movies about already very prominent characters what if this guy who was already in the film had his own film like yeah know. something i was looking into is that one of a slight sort of inaccuracy is that in revenge of the sith ewan mcgregor at the time was 34 years old and then a new hope is what 17 years later it's like luke's 17 in that movie around that age yeah so but Anna Guinness was 63. <laughs> so he ages 29 years and 17 years. Right, yeah. So I reckon there should be a story which explains how he just aged so much. Like, he goes on a really traumatic quest. He's like, hair goes white. Stressed out. Stressed the fuck out. Well, he's just got a lot of work on. Well, actually, there is that line in A New Hope. This is, like, you know, very nerdy. But he's like, I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. But it, like, implies that he's done it fairly recently. Done some sort of questing. Or is that just really stretching, do you reckon? Um, does it though, or does it? I mean, he's like he's getting too old. I'm getting. He doesn't say somewhere like I've gotten too old. Yeah, it's like you haven't done anything for 17 years. You're fine, right? But no, like, I'm getting. Yeah, no, I've <laughs> killed a lot of those hooded fellows. That... <laughs> I keep on getting sad people all I, the time. I've killed a lot of sad people. I've had a lot of fights. I've done some Jedi quests in the meantime. You don't know me. How uh, if they do do it? If it is a movie that bridges between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. How Alec Guinnessy does. Uh, Ewan have to up his voice because he just does like a sort of posh RP yeah, voice well, I guess <laughs> and then as he's in the desert he just gets a little bit more what's this turning to Roger Moore, Roger Moore. yeah it's because we've done Roger don't Moore be afraid little friends there's a bit more like that right sort of that yeah that's in the ballpark isn't it <laughs> there's a throwaway line in the end of Revenge of the Sith where Yoda's like I'll teach you how to communicate with Qui-Gon Jinn and he's like okay that's right, because like, um, George Lucas has got to fill in how you talk from beyond the grave. I still like my original idea of setting it entirely in the afterlife, and it's a spirit world, Obi-Wan, and he's got to like defeat some kind of monstrous ghost in order to be able to speak to Luke Skywalker. You know, he's yeah. like fighting to get to the transmitter. So he's like, I've got to help, I've got to give him advice about shooting the uh, lasers at the Death Star. Oh shit! It's like the Hobbit. Like, where's Gandalf? And you know, in between the bits where he yeah, turns up. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, and he's like, he's got to fight a Balrog or something. It's <laughs> like the Star Wars version. Sorry, I'm late, Luke. Sorry, I was. Fighting. Go to the Dago system. <laughs> <laughs> wow, your Obi Wan got a lot better. And like, you were thinking about it while I was talking, and you were you were getting it. You must train with Master Yoda. Yeah, you're sorting that out. My favorite bit. This is off topic. Is like when he says, "Like you told me, my father was dead, killed by Darth Vader." He's like. Actually, I said this, so technically I wasn't lying. It's like a real sort of, uh, mm. like, you know, they didn't quite think through. It's like, you said this. It's like, well, when well, he became Darth Vader. You didn't Vader, read the he... small print of my comments. <laughs> he ceased to be your father, so technically I wasn't lying. It's your fault. Anyway, off I go. Do you think that he's a character that has enough depth to warrant an entire... He's just a sort of wise man, isn't he? I mean, he feels very much constructed as a secondary character. He's just there to kind of send him on his quest, right? And yeah, then... right, exactly. Like, he's an old mentor. Like, does he need an entire... Mm-hmm. 
extra film. How did he become so old and wise? I mean, we've had those movies in forms of the prequels. Yes, but he fucked up majorly. He wasn't even that wise. He's not wise at all. He begins them very hot-headed and concludes them the same way. Isn't the whole point that he literally stays on Tatooine doing nothing to make sure that Luke's okay? Oh, yeah. Does yeah. he just look after him? He just doesn't even look after him. He just stays over there. Shit, maybe how, 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 this how has gone on far too long, fine. but maybe like there's just a, a seat. Like, Luke was constantly almost getting shot, but like Obi-Wan was just there. Like, guys then take him out and he just turns up, kills him, rushes yeah. back to his heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pull, push him out of the way of traffic. Oh yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. you were there the whole time. <laughs> yeah, make sure that the uh, uh, Tallahassee station is stocked with power converters and everything. <laughs> wow, banging film coming up. <laughs> Wait, no, we didn't do a fake out intro to that section, so I'm going to do a fake out uh, exit. Uh, did I ever tell you about my wife story? <laughs> <laughs> my wife story. <laughs> <laughs> And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask we poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off Anyway, just fell off in a couple of days Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> We got a there's a spin-off podcast called Danny's Medical Mysteries And bits of... Um, we record that at the same time And bits of it, unfortunately, may have, may have leaked in um, so I saw Final Portrait. It is the... the hell's that? Yeah, I'll tell you, mate. It's uh, written and directed by Stanley Tucci, that great actor and chef and just all-around cool guy. Katie actually fist-pumped she at the, fist at pumped the, the name of Tucci. She just loves the Tooch. Um, Stanley's Tucci. Stanley's Tucci, creator of Spider-Man's anus. A Tooch too mooch. He's got a Tooch. <laughs> a Tooch too mooch. <laughs> My favorite ACDC song. Um... <laughs> And the film is set in Paris in 1964, <laughs> yeah. where the uh, critic called James Lord, played by Army Hammer, goes to Alberto uh, Giacometti, played by Jeffrey Rush, um, for him to paint his portrait. And Giacometti tells him it won't take longer than a few hours, uh, but he keeps on not finishing it and asks Lord to come back day after day. And what is supposed to be three hours ends up the best part of three weeks. And during this time, you get insight into his creative process, as well as Giacometti's life, which mainly consists of his wife, Annette, played by Sylvie Testud, his brother, Diego, played by Tony Shalhoub, and his prostitute girlfriend, played by Clemence Posey, Fleur de la Cour herself. And here is a clip from the start of the film where Giacometti starts to paint uh, Lord for the first time. Mm. Okay, let's go. Right on, you look like a brute. Lower your chin. Side on, it looked like a degenerate. Not so far. Don't smile. Don't scratch. Hm? Oh my God. What are you doing? Don't move. There. Stay there. That's good. Oh, fuck. Fuck, fuck. How much longer can it go on like this? Fuck. So, I very much enjoyed this film. It is very light and untaxing watch, uh, but kind of deceptively smart. It's kind of genius in its simplicity. And the film kind of sets itself a lot of challenges which it rises to in that it's a two-handed predominantly set in one location where nothing super dramatic happens and it's kind of operating in a small space literally and uh, emotionally that's not too wanky a thing to say in that it's never a a small box of emotions a a glass cage cage of emotions in that when it's sad it's just a bit melancholy and when it's funny it's just a bit amusing and the the emotional register operates between like a five and a six and never goes much above or below that. Uh, the whole movie is very um, well judged tonally. And it reminded me a little bit of Mr. Turner, 
mainly because that's the last biopic I saw about an artist, but also it has what that movie had in that it just concentrates on all the little moments in someone's life and it avoids the biopic pitfall of just trying to string together loads of dramatic stuff in a way that always feels a bit reductive. And so the scenes of Jack and Mede just ordering lunch are kind of more insightful than ones where he's arguing with his brother. Yeah. If that makes sense. And that sort of thing makes me feel a lot better about ordering lunch myself. I'm yeah. Like, one day when they make the biopic of my life, they'll find this interesting. Fred and Monge again. Fred and Monge again. They'll find that. Uh, it says a lot about me. Yeah. And it's all about all the little moments. And I could make some torturous analogy about it. It's all the small brushstrokes making up the painting. Do but I won't. Don't do I'm that. above that kind of yeah. lazy, lazy analogist. That'd be awful. That's shit. I won't even fucking do that. So it's like... Um, it's uh, very much an actor's movie. It's, it's very performance-driven. And the... Uh, actors are all doing a great job. Army Hammer does a lot with a very sketchily drawn character in that he's not... The film really isn't about him. He's like the kind of spine the movie is hung on. But no one really wants to know about James Lord. He just seems like a sort of cool guy. I like art. Jack is an interesting guy. But he does a lot with it. And I have uh, I like Army Hammer a lot. He's like absurdly handsome and chiseled. But I, he's just like really good. Yeah. And he looks, he looks uh, computer generated. <laughs> Well, it's quite funny because like when he's like sits down for this painting, it's just like is he even human? Like he's just, like full robot mode. Do you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Like get yeah. up, ambulate. It's like the beginning of Prometheus. Should be easy to paint. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, Jeffrey Rush is excellent in it. Before going in to see it, I was a bit worried, or like maybe not worried, overstating it, but I thought it might be a slightly broader movie, and I could definitely imagine the sort of Stephen Frears version where they kind of amp up the eccentricity. And because Jeffrey Rush, like when he's in blockbusters, that's kind of what he does. And he's like great at that. But he really underplays it. And uh, it's a very kind of physical performance. Like Jack Mays is kind of hunched over. He's like 60, but he looks 80, constantly chain smoking, kind of muttering in a mixture of Swiss and Italian and English. It sounds and like he's got a lot, of, lot to work with. A lot of, like, a lot of business, you yeah, know. Yeah. And uh, his sort of uh, perpetually a state of self-doubt kind of thing is just very charming. And he just kind of loads a loads of pathos. There's something like a bit tragic about him. And, and it avoids being cartoonish. And uh, the supporting actors all, are all brilliant. Tony Shalhoub and Sylvie Tistand are... They do a really good job of like invoking a much wider life uh, than the screen time they're given. It's like when they turn up in the movie, it feels like they've been doing stuff. They're not just there to serve this other narrative. And that's kind of true of the whole film because it's set in this one location, I think out of necessity because of the budget. But uh, you get a sense of like a you know massive exterior life beyond the uh, confines of the budget that makes sense and Clemens Posey is amazing in it I'm like I'm like ah, you from in Bruges and those Harry Potter movies she's like a real a burst of life this sort of like larger than life prostitute figure and when she turns up it's just like kind of party girl atmosphere and uh, I was like you should be in more movies Clemens Posey it was a real like hey remember me Clemens Posey cast yeah. me in films she's pretty good in the tunnel if I remember watched about that and um basically the film is about it's not really reaching a conclusion it's about process about the creative process and it's like makes the idea that art is never finished it's just kind of abandoned or left to one side at one point and this is perhaps less a sort of critical point but just more something i like in films it's kind of what you're saying last week with ledulo about it's just kind of satisfying to watch someone do something so just like scenes of him squeezing out paint and like applying it is just somehow kind of pleasing to watch yeah yeah in the same way, I find kind of cookery programs just enthralling. That's why Bake Off is so good. Just watching them do that piping, I'm like, yeah, make that cake. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> sound like a weird kind of sex thing, but uh, <laughs> but I assure you, it's not. 
the budget does creak a little bit, and on the few occasions they leave the studio set, they obviously can't really film much. It's almost like the budget stretches to like this studio and like one dressed street. Um, but the studio I discovered is like completely faithfully recreated. So hats off to the production designer. And uh, yeah, I would recommend it. I saw it like on a on a Wednesday matinee, and it's quite a Wednesday matinee movie. But a very pleasant 90 minutes. Just kind of went down easy. Yeah, kind of quite thoughtful. I'm like the Tooch. Good Pretty, job. Good job, Toochie. Oh, nice. Smoochie Toochie. Smoochie Toochie. And uh, the audience of decrepit old Bents watching <laughs> watching it seemed to love it. So, the uh, ghouls. The ghouls. Yeah, the shambling hordes watching this. Heat it up. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. Okay, now my review. Nice try, Danny, but it's not gonna be as good as mine. Um, wait, let me get my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm prepared. Um... So, Lady Macbeth, the film I watched on my phone, you may wish to discount my opinions uh, on that basis, but I urge you not to do so. Um, Directed by uh, William Oldroyd and written by Alice Booth and starring Florence Pugh, uh, who you may recognize from The Falling. Um, And it's based on a Russian novella called Lady Macbeth of the Matense District by a guy called Nikolai Leskov, uh, which has been adapted a few times. It was... uh, uh, Shostakovich opera and stuff oh, like that. Oh, right, yeah. So she's not a literal Lady Macbeth, but she's more like a Lady Macbeth character. But she right. has been transposed from the Matensk district, wherever that is, to Victorian England. The setup is she, she's not called Lady Macbeth, she's called Catherine. She begins the film having recently been married off to a, a guy that she doesn't know very well, an older man. He's not very nice, horribly unpleasant, bit of a drunkard. And it seems like she's stuck living with this nasty man and his even nastier father until they are called away on business. Uh, and she takes the opportunity to assert herself a little bit in the household, shack up with one of her husband's groomsmen, and, you know, cut loose a little bit. Um, Hello. Uh, that all makes it sound like a more casual movie than it is, quite a serious <laughs> film. Here is a little clip of her having a, a sort of a love scene with her groomsman boyfriend out on the lovely Yorkshire moors. Do you love me? Of course. Do you adore me? Of course. Could you do without me? Could you do without me? It's husbands and wives that kiss like that. <laughs> Did your husband kiss you, Catherine? <laughs> She won't speak. You know I shan't be parted from your life, Sebastian. Through hell and high water, I will follow you. To the cross, to the prison, to the grave, to the sky. I'd rather stop you breathing than have you doubt how I feel. Lovely. Lovely. So, um, 
I this is another movie like uh, the big sick where I feel like I'm out of step with the critical consensus. So I'm touching no, gingerly around my opinions. Is out of step with you? Yeah, they're probably a bunch of morons because I didn't like it as much as they probably you know, bought Draingate. I, I it's, it's <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm I'm definitely down on the Rotten Tomatoes average on this movie. I didn't like enjoy it enormously. It's very beautifully shot. Uh, it's very attractively photographed, and there are a few moments of interesting drama, and there's some. Uh, quite sort of pleasing ambiguity in the characters, uh, the way that the sort of interplay between the characters, particularly um, between uh, Lady Macbeth and her maid, um, who's a slightly odd character. You're never quite sure where the maid, you know, uh, stands in things. Uh, and I feel like I would have rather seen like the maid film, <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> so the movie is very stagey. And I found out afterwards from listening to Kermit's review of it that... Uh, the director, William Aldroyd, has a background in theatre, and that makes a lot of sense because it's like the shot choice is relatively limited. A lot of it is set inside this um, house, and I guess like they're creating an atmosphere of sort of isolation and like her slightly dull existence where she lives the same day over and over again, but it's still like not particularly sort of stim- like visually yeah. stimulating. Like They don't do a lot visually interesting with that like small space, um, and there's almost no music in the film, which is obviously like... A deliberate decision to give it a particular kind of mood but i think for me it just felt a little bit um on the flat side there is very little backstory the script is quite stripped down and there's very little kind of activity you know like um in contrast like with other things that are set in like grand houses where people have servants and stuff like a lot that of hustle and bustle. there's a lot of hustle and bustle and this isn't like that at all there's very it's very quiet there's very little going on and it creates that kind of like lonely eerie uh, atmosphere but it also kind of feels like this is some kind of isolated bubble world where you know the the real world is like one step removed from the action of the film um and that means that everything is a little bit mannered and like distant feeling you don't really right. feel like you're in victorian england um and so that creates a kind of focus on the pure psychology of the characters because it doesn't doesn't have the feel of a period drama if right. you see what i mean i think that this kind of like highlights basically the slight psycho like issues in psychology and i was sort of wondering what it is that bothered me about it i think like partly it is that florence Pugh's performance which has been much praised and is very poised but i found a little bit she has a bit of sort of modern attitude and that and that kind of slightly um like knowing uh there's like an element of brattishness and like a sort of you can't push me around man kind of thing which just feels a bit like from a different era rather than from victorian england um and the journey that she goes on as a character is uh well because the movie is called lady Macbeth, so you know that it's gonna like kind of go to some dark places but the way that it's set up is to make you immediately feel extremely sympathetic towards her because she's in a very difficult situation surrounded by like horrible men and stuff like that um and you know she's very restricted doesn't have much freedom and she's kind of like fighting to expand her freedom so you get bored with that but then as things darken it makes you kind of question whether you should be feeling you know that sympathetic towards this character but the the arc of that story is not particularly smooth and it falls off a cliff at one point and suddenly you're like <laughs> oh my god um oh my god oh my god and i think basically the issue is that because the way that it's set up feels so uncomplicated at the beginning that she has these like comically like cartoonishly boorish men from the past you know very old-fashioned like sexists contrasting with this slightly more modern feeling woman that it doesn't create the 
uh, that sort of world of um, shades of grey into which you can, you know, find a lot of nuance. Yeah. And then the for the story to go to some strange places later on in the film just feels like felt to me confused rather than felt like it was offering a complex moral universe to you know for you to like think about. And I was looking up on Wikipedia earlier the novella that the movie is based on, um, and this film ends before the conclusion of the action in the novella. So right. there's a whole bunch more stuff happens, and that story is very like. Um, it's very lurid and very wild in a kind of um, almost like an old fairy tale type way where like just like crazy stuff happens like people are everyone is incredibly brutal to everyone else and it's just a sort of you know completely amoral universe of like vicious uh, vicious people and it's um, and I felt like the the because the this film takes such a restrained approach you don't get to revel in that kind of no holds barred like kind of filmmaking yeah and instead it's this very like buttoned up story but with like uh you know a few like quite fucked up things that happening that happen in it that are happening that are are happening they are happening it's popping off um so yeah i just didn't find it ultimately that satisfying i never quite settled into it i didn't like find the world particularly easy to get invested in or to sort of enter and uh not wholly convincing in terms of the period or in terms of like the 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 way that people acted like it didn't i didn't feel like completely on board with it basically right and it kind of petered along and then there's a very like awful thing that happens at the end that i just felt was not earned by the film fair enough i was like don't put that in there don't do it <laughs> don't do it just don't put that in there i know what you mean with um i think it's a common problem of like period dramas there's like kind of it is a bit about british films there's just people in rooms sighing and sort of like oh right so okay right yeah you're yeah. doing that and I was going to say that's like one of the sort of pleasing things about Final Portrait is that it does like a period film which has got a bit got a bit of pep to it. But the idea that just like the past is just a series of tableaus, right? You know, yeah. like it's just they're all just like uh, Hogarth prints, you know. Well, I don't know. It's just yeah, like yeah, people yeah. in massive rooms staring at stuff. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like that's that's. I mean, that's very much what the movie felt like. Yeah. There's not a world to get involved in. There's just about three people glaring at each other. <laughs> bit like this room right now. <laughs> hey, quiet, <laughs> quiet, lady Beth. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So anyway, it's all cleared up now. That's my another one, another, another thing. I've got a series of hideous oh, oh. penis-related. <laughs> All of which were just resolved today. <laughs> My many illnesses are now fine. <laughs> um, we, do we have anything more to say? Or do we not have anything more to say? Just hit wrap up, share, subscribe, rate, review. Okay. All right. Let's just do a little quick wrap up. So, what have we talked about today, Danny? What have we? What have we? We talked about today? you watching <laughs> a film on your phone. We discussed the director of Airbud. Yeah. We talked about the Obi Wan spinoff movie, this proposed Joker prequel tale. <laughs> I reviewed Final Portrait. You talked about Lady Macbeth. Oh, what a what a what fun a, what time! A wonderful, what a wonderful what a time. wonderful time we've had. And, uh, and yeah. next week we can review. Well, I'm quite want to see Logan Lucky. That was quite good. The new Steven Soderbergh. He's only been retired for six minutes, but he's like, I got to come back. I got to make more films. There's, I like how yeah. when he retired, he made uh, two seasons of The Nick, which are like ten hours long. So he made like twenty hours of like prestige television. Like I've retired. Like, <laughs> like direct, so make effectively ten hour movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, did the lighting, edited the entire thing. 
and did the work of like six men like ah retirement it's too boring i have to make another film be like slowed down to make a feature film yeah yeah so excited for that that i'm seeing if daniel craig has still got it you know an actual non-bond thing i'm kind of excited to see if he's that charisma that was you know looks like he's relishing doing something else the trailer had introducing daniel craig and it really made it sound like he's relieved to be out that fucking tom ford suit uh there's also yeah yeah apparently he is um, yeah. He wanted to buy a really nice watch, and it cost uh, eighty million dollars. So, so he had to do one fee. more film. Yeah. Uh, there's also this Tom Cruise movie right, called Made in America. American Mate. American Mate. Excuse me. Apparently, he shows his bum in it. So I want to see Tom Cruise's bum. Want to see that? They, they, there was some discussion on Twitter. Someone was found a screenshot on Twitter from the movie Valkyrie from like five minutes in, where they believe that Tom Cruise has a fake bum. There's a shot of him like bent over in his Nazi. Uh, Nazi trousers, <laughs> his Nazi trousers, um, and he's got a big, very round bum, and it does not look like a real bum. It looks like a fake prosthetic bum. Why was he wearing it? <laughs> we may never know. So no, no, no. it wasn't even a superior bum. It, it doesn't like, it look like the like, bum of a twenty-year-old like They've got man. like the stunt bum in to like look good, you know, because his bum is is like unacceptable for this like split second shot where he like bends over. It looks like he's wearing a big fake bum. I don't know if the, I don't know if it's been faked. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, and I I wouldn't venture to. to... Maybe it's a um, plot point in the movie. That's where he like stores the explosives in his bum. Oh yeah, shit. Maybe. And then like he takes them out. To kill There's a Hitler. lot of like deeply homophobic uh, security guards who would not touch a man's bum. Yeah, exactly. Any, even if it was bulging with dynamite, it's like, they would uh, not touch it. Yeah. Sure. Oh, there you go. Oh, we made it onto the Telegraph. I just thought it was on Twitter. It is massive. It does it's, not like a real bum, does it? It looks like they've been inflated. Should we put a link on the Facebook? Uh, yeah, we'll have a series of links to a number of news articles about this well, a very important story on Facebook. Anyway, you might see that movie. So you might see that. Um, I, I'm still keen to see The Dark Tower, which I mentioned last week, but I haven't yet seen. I want to see how bad it is. You should probably catch it before it just flees the cinemas. No one's, you know, going to see it, it. Before it vanishes into the ether. <laughs> Got to yeah. catch Lufa. Lufa! Um, yeah. Yeah, so see you then. See you then. Have a lovely week, everyone. Just just be great. Just, just be yourself. Just other. go to town on each other and just have a wonderful time. Just go nuts. See you then. Bye. Bye. Let's do it. And Twitter users are obsessing over whether Tom Cruise used some cheeky enhancements in a scene from his 2008 movie, Valkyrie. The question, was Tom wearing a fake butt? Stills and footage from the movie suggest yes, especially given Tom loves doing his own stunts. In the end, a snap poll, fake or real, determined Tom's booty was simply too juicy. It wasn't fake, it was entirely made of butter. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he sat on the desk, I didn't know his butt looked like that. Did you? Well, like well, that's where you made me out of the point. Yeah, I think maybe. Well, I was looking at his butt when he was on the desk, to be honest. But they have been reviewing the footage quite intensely. Let's see how the analysis went. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.